The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Susan Jacoby. Susan is the host of the groundbreaking podcast, Conversations That Heal, and is also the author of How to Love Yourself, The Hope After Child Abuse. She's a speaker committed to speaking about the impact of childhood trauma on adult survivors. Susan has healed from her own personal journey of severe childhood abuse and has turned her hardships around to create a positive path for her life. Practicing healthy ways to think, feel, and act is where the hope lives to a life we dream of. She can be reached at susanjacoby.com or you can email her at susan at susanjacoby.com and that's j-a-c-o-b-i dot com. Welcome, Susan. Hi, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to have you because I have um, I, I feel the voice of uh, abuse as a loss issue is really, really important um, for people to to encompass um, that experience as a loss and and realize that it is in fact a grief issue. So I really thank you for being here to speak to that. Oh, you're welcome. You know, a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people look at it that way, and yet that is, like, where the soul of it is. You know, you are grieving, and it is behind the, you know, once you get through the pain and and the anger, and it comes down to grieving. So I'm glad that we're doing this show. Absolutely. I I had a guest not not too long ago, Frances Weller, who's categorized grief into five types of loss, and one of them is the grief for what wasn't, the grief for mm-hmm. what never was, and I, that just spoke to me so much, and especially in this in this context. Um, you know, um, I I want to start just by asking you, in that way. Uh, how people who have had that childhood experience come to recognize that there's something amiss. And you could, you could talk from your own experience here, I'm sure, uh, because we're sort of hypnotic as kids. Whatever is happening is what we, what we think is um, happening everywhere, you know, and, and we yeah. kind of, it, it's a hard thing to recognize, isn't it, that um, there was something wrong or missing. You know, I, I, okay, I'll talk from my own experience safer. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> um, <laughs> for 
me, the the grief and, and the loss didn't really present itself until I was well into my healing process. And, you know, I think as children, depending on the situation that you're in, it's probably safer that our brains don't open that up to us uh, mm. because it's so, um, I mean, it just knocks you down to your knees, you know, and, and there's nothing, I mean, as if I, looking back as a child, I think if I had lost that, if I had recognized that, um, as well as um, if I had recognized my anger or my abandonment or betrayal, I don't think a child's capable of, like, taking that all in, um, especially when they're trying to survive from day to day. Um, as an adult, I will say that the loss of it really came into my awareness when I had worked years on the anger and the abandonment and all the other stuff. And Wait. because it's... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, which incidentally can all be a part of grief as well. I mean, to me, it's mm-hmm. not just not just the sadness of it, but but every emotional aspect mm-hmm. of that experience. Yeah. So, so um, sl- you know, kind of going slowly through this, something made you aware something's not right, and. Um, do do you have in your mind kind of a moment where you realize that or did other problems sort of make you start investigating uh this childhood experience it's it's uh, interesting that you're asking me that question um and it's and it's true there was a, a precise moment and at the time i was just like whoa what is this and yet now I I have learned that that is very, very common. And for me, what it was when um, I was in labor with my first child, this image um, that I was so out of my realm of thinking that it was just like I couldn't even fathom what was going on. And, so you had an image that, of something that had happened in your childhood yes. while you were giving mm-hmm. birth? Mm-hmm. And that had been, the the curtain had been down on that previously? Up until that point, uh-huh. And every, the way I was living my life, if, a, you know, if a, someone who had the experience of knowing, like, let's say a therapist or something, you know, I would have, like, fit into the little square pegs perfectly. Um, but I had no idea until I was in labor. You know, that's very, that's very interesting because uh, this whole controversy, I know, I'm sure you know about it, about um, false memory and, and all of this sort of thing. That has troubled me so much because the fact is the brain does have the capacity to shut itself down. And we kind of have to, um, those, those moments where something open up, opens up like that, at the very least, deserve to be investigated. So it sounds as if that was so strong for you that that you kind of felt the truth in it. Well, it's 
it's kind of funny. I um, not until um, almost four years later, when I was in labor with my second child, did um, did the pieces start unraveling. And between the two births, the whole time, I was like, what was that? You know, what's going on? And exhibiting, like, being really angry over over, over nothing. Um, but to me, it was just like this volcano was erupting. And, I mean, it, that was a really hard time in, in my life because... <laughs> you know, just have this, like, cloud over you, and it's so foreign. It's like, you know, it's not like, like, I don't go out and read the kind or watch movies uh, of the images that I got when I was in labor. And so it was was really unsettling. And, but that's also important what you're saying, that it, uh, it came into your consciousness and then it was quite some time before you were prepared to, I guess, accept it and find some way through it, find some help to to really tackle it. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's even more interesting about that is the second image came, and then in uh, three or four years later, then it was like, you know that expression, um, you can run but you can't hide? Yes, I do. <laughs> we've that, we've that both experienced those kind of moments. <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of summed it up. You know, it's kind of like, okay, here we are. I run long enough, and and then things just started. What you could say, like falling apart or um, coming together, is like I was like, my brain was like, okay, we're ready to deal with this. And and it did. <laughs> I feel as if we're on the edge too. Of um, you, you have a section in your book about shame, and it seems so relevant because why do we shut it down? One, because we're in danger, and two, because it's a shameful. You know, we take it on ourselves as kids when something is going wrong. Um, kids see themselves as the center of everything. And I thought uh, when you were talking about the fact that um, most child abusers were also abused, so they have that sort of in their cellular makeup, and then um, they know exactly, I guess, how to ignite that kind of shame. Yeah. There's a there's a part of your book in which you talk about that, and I thought the image was so strong. Visualize a, a spider's web. Replace the web with shame. Replace the fi- spider with the offender. The victim is like the innocent bug that gets trapped in the web. That bug cannot tell where the web starts or stops. It cannot see how big the web is, nor can it see how to release itself from the web. It is trapped. Before long, the bug and the web become intertwined, and the bug has become one with the web. That's how it really felt to me, yeah. Um, One thing that really touched me about that image is... um, even if the spider leaves, the web's still sticky. Um, you know, yeah. you're still you're still in it, and maybe not even quite recognizing what caused you to be trapped. 
if we can if we can imagine being being the bug, you know. Um, yeah. That's just such yeah. a evocative uh, image for me. It, well, and me too. It just, I mean, it it just kind of popped into my head one day, and it it just seemed like it really summed it up. And I mean, shame is. I mean, to tell you the truth, I didn't even, I couldn't even remember the word shame for years. I couldn't even, and then, and then, like, of course, I could read the dictionary, you know, and and I understood the words that it was describing it. But then to bring it to me, it was like so foreign that it was out of my realm of of consciousness, and and slowly, you know, I've been able to have a healthy conversation about it, like like the spider web, or or like you know what we're talking about now. So, in a sense, I think you're you're talking about our experiences being sort of, and our, the ways that we hold them being sort of like the air we breathe, too, uh, that it's, that, you know, a fish isn't aware of, of breathing water. Um, so how you become aware of what you're experiencing, that's, that's a complex process, I think, sometimes. That's a really good metaphor or analogy also. I never really thought about it. But for, you know, for a child, they, that would be very um, appropriate or an, an image because you aren't aware, even, even as an adult, until you, you take it on, you're, you commit to it, are you not, you're not aware of it until you make that commitment. I mean, you probably found that, you know, with, with your clients maybe. Sure. Well, and the and the other thing, there's a there's a dilemma here, which I'm I'm hoping you can shed some light on. Um, I know it from the therapist's angle, um, but one thing that that um, I think about a lot is how you come to enough safety to depend on someone to help you. Uh, you talk a lot in the book about the importance of your therapy, you know, how much that helped you. And I kept thinking about that moment where in order for it to help, you have to, well, first of all, you have to find someone, you have to make an appointment, you know, yeah. there has to be the, there have to be those first sessions where you have no real reason to believe that someone's going to be trustworthy. And I wondered if you could talk about how you carried yourself through that? That's a brilliant question. And, you know, for me, it was, um, you know, you would think that there would be like a reason that I did it for me, but there wasn't. It was, it was things were, were going south really fast in my life. Like I was like more suicidal than I'd ever been more numb than I'd ever been or that I was aware of, you know, even mm-hmm. in my childhood, I think I was numb for my entire childhood. Um, but, but I had two children and putting them first was above everything. And, and at the time, you know, that was enough to get me through to the next step. And, you know, like learning to trust my therapist, I, 
you know, I really don't know how that happened. It just, um, you know, I guess you could say like how I survived my abuse. You know, I don't, I don't know how that happened. It, I think a lot of it was, I say, through the grace of God, because uh, some people have looked at my story and said, like, you, know, you should not have survived this, and um, and I did. And so I think it's it's just like another example of working through the trust with my therapist. I mean, my therapist was enormously patient with me. You know, I think we spent like at least a year of me rebelling about even going there, and yet I still went back to her because it wasn't an option not to go back to her because if I didn't go back to her, then I would probably kill myself, and that wasn't an option because I had two children that I wasn't going to do that to. That's really interesting because I've I've thought I have children they're grown now and uh I think often about how uh no matter what it is that inspires us towards change it usually involves love you know we we face up to these things that seem unbearable to face um out of love uh you know that's true for me of parenting it's true in terms of be, seeing someone to their death, you know, a lot of... So your compelling love of them pushed past the difficulties of, of being able to trust. Yes? Absolutely. The other thing I hear in that, too, though, is that you were not, um, you were not pushed to trust quicker than you were ready to trust. No, <laughs> and you know <laughs> you're what? laughing. That is like, <laughs> I'm laughing because that is gold. What you just said. I mean, that is like. I mean, I mean that. If, if I had been, I probably would have walked out. I mean, I'm not saying I don't want to paint this picture that it was all roses in therapy because it wasn't at I all. You are, <laughs> <laughs> to say yeah. the least. Yeah. Yeah, um, and and my therapist gave me the space to to yell at her, to walk out, to um, you know. It's interesting. I saw her for uh, fifteen years, and not once did I not show up for appointment. I either, if I wasn't going to come because I was mad, um, I would call her and say I'm not coming and hang up the phone. You know, leave so a message. You, so you did your part too. Let's go back to that when we. I yeah. think this is a fascinating part of what we're talking about. Um, we're going to have a break now, and then the, we'll come back to that. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. To like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc. You can find Susan Jacoby at susanjacoby.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk. 
with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Susan Jacoby, the author of How to Love Yourself, The Hope After Child Abuse. And before the break and during the break, Susan, you and I were talking about the importance of not having someone, including a therapist or anybody who's who's um, being a witness and support to you as you're trying to heal, not having them push you beyond your, um, I guess, felt readiness. Um, <laughs> you, you, you said she was patient. Was it a she? Yes. Mm-hmm. She was patient, and that was essential in, in some way. You know, the one thing that pops up as we're going over this is I, up until that point, I mean, yes, I was married. My marriage was, uh, well, I use the word was because it's no longer, you know. And and up until the point of my therapist, I didn't know what trust was. I had nothing to um, identify it with, and and by letting by her letting me take it at my pace and you know, test the waters of, is she trustworthy? You know, that that started building, you know, trust in our relationship. But um, as I look back, more importantly, it started building the trust within myself that I was capable of trusting myself, which was completely new. That's just such a crucial thing you just said, that that at basis, even though you're, in some sense, maybe feeling like you're putting yourself in someone else's hands. In fact, you're the final word mm-hmm. that you, you have to trust yourself in a new sense of who's trustworthy and who isn't. Uh, and maybe, maybe possibly wake up 
the um, inner responses you have to uh, situations that are safe or unsafe. Uh, I know many people get pretty detached from their bodies under the conditions you lived under. Um, mm-hmm. Did you did you have to go through a process of sort of coming back into your own experience to gain that trust in yourself? Absolutely. <laughs> and that, I mean, that was really hard. I'm, and, you know, it's interesting, even like now I can look back in this with, with a different mindset. Um, but I just lost what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, no problem. So there's some sense in which, um, ironically, even to trust the person who might be able to help, uh, you you have to start with you to a degree. Uh, some sense that you've made uh, a better choice than was given to you or some sense that you can trust your instincts about who's going to be helpful to you. You know, yes, and isn't it interesting how, like, what you're saying, like, you know, we're talking in an adult perspective, but if you look at it, if we, like, uh, rewind and and look at a child, on, you know, on one, on some level, whether the child's allowed to believe it or it's too dangerous to accept it, a child knows that what's happening to them is wrong, and on some level, it's, it's there. And, you know, and, the, and then your survival instincts kick in and, and you know that it's not safe to express whatever it is, you know, your, your anger or that this, what's happening is wrong. And that's another part of the survival part of it. Um, and so I think that kind of, um, that part of you that's deep in your soul comes out again when you're trying to figure, you know, you're trying to test the waters and, you know, am I trusting, can I trust this person, can I trust myself to uh, to trust this person? And it doesn't have to be your therapist, it could be um, anybody, you mm. know, it, just, you know, do I, like with you, you know, like, do I trust you to be safe in this, telling you this part of my life? You know, and obviously I do or I would have set up my boundaries and said, thank you for asking. Um, I'll see you later. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, but I, yeah, I also trusted myself that I could um, hold my boundaries and keep myself safe to have this conversation. That's really interesting. And the, the thing that catches my attention a lot is, the idea, you know, because a lot of people that I work with will say, I lost myself or, um, you know, I, I, um, I disappeared, something like that. But actually, I, I seem to think of it more as I went into hiding. And there's something in mm. what you just said that implies that, that your, your actual response to the situation was still in you. You had the response. It was registered in you, and it wasn't safe enough to let that out. You had to go about the business of surviving. Have I heard you properly there? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I don't think 
it's interesting because I, I mean, it's possible that I did, but I don't remember saying um, or thinking I've lost myself. I remember like um, feeling like I was invisible, invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of times I would say like, can you see me or mm-hmm. um, being numb or um, checking out like the lights yeah. are on, but nobody is home. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and that's sort of uh, the other side of the coin on the same thing, isn't it? Uh, you know, you've kind mm-hmm. of become invisible to yourself in a way. But, mm-hmm. but what, what I was really struck by was when you opened the door on it, your knowledge that it was wrong was still there. Yes. You know, once you once you allowed that. Um I I wanted to ask it's it's a little related although slightly different too. My experience is that when anyone sort of even referentially uh validates that something's wrong when you're a child, you can't do much with it then, but it seems to matter later. And I wondered if there were any forces in your life, any people or, um, you know, uh, well, people in any context, I guess is what I would say, who did indicate to you in some way, I see what's happening. I wish I could say yes to that question. Um, and I've thought about that a lot. And I think it would have made a profound difference in how my uh, childhood turned out. Um, and the answer is absolutely nobody. I mean, people said things like, oh, Susan, you're so sensitive. Or, oh, Susan, why are you always crying? Or, um, you know, why are you always quiet? Or, why are you always sleeping? Or, why are you always sick to your stomach? But no one ever said, you know, why are you always crying? <laughs> they didn't really want an answer. They just attributed no. it to some personality problem or something. Exactly. Huh? Exactly. Uh-huh. And, 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 and what's, go right ahead. Um, what's interesting about that is um, both my parents are deceased, um, and which, I mean, for me, is a blessing because my dad was one of my abusers, and um even, but but other extended members of my family still won't acknowledge that this happened to me. Yet they'll do things to support other people who are in similar situations. I find it fascinating when I can pull myself back from the sting of it. Like wow, you know, like look at it. Like wow, are they limited in their compassion for their own? member of their family like what does that say about them not what does that say about me that like what does that say about them yeah well that that represents having traveled a a very long distance on your own own road of coming to terms with this i think but the answer that popped right into my head was um if they really take that in they would have to confront their own shame wouldn't they Mm-hmm. And that, you hit the nail on the head with that. Because, come on, let's be honest here. How could you not, when a five-year-old little girl or a little boy is like running or is 
has this terror in their eyes when a man comes in the room. How could you not see that? You know, and, yeah. and you're right. You know, it's like, I mean, think about it as, um, of yourself, you know, of like the listeners who, you know, are adults. Like, think about it for a second. And, and you're right. It's it's that. It's like the shame is too great for for them to upset the the apple cart of the family structure, if you will, or you know yeah. what they have hidden themselves. And not to imply I'm I'm kind of absolving them there. Uh, it it just makes sense to me. Um, it's why I'm so intent on people, you know, kind of facing the truth in life, because. There's so much damage done when when that's not possible. Well, you can say that that you're not involving people there, but but I am. <laughs> you know, because it just uh, ugh, it's infuriating, <laughs> and it you know it kind of gets into the loss part of it. I mean, yes, because you didn't just lose your childhood, you lost all the people in it once you realized that they weren't there for you. It's, it's a very compounded loss. Um, I'm, you know, you talk, um, I would say, pretty, uh, with a lot of understanding about people who are offenders in your book, not, not in uh, uh, excuses, giving them excuses ways, but with a lot of depth about um, how they reinforce the pattern, which of course mm-hmm. probably works on the other people in the situation too. Um, you know, ways of keeping the whole system from facing uh, what's going on. And I'm thinking in particular of a part of the book called Let's Talk About Offenders. Uh, the, here's a paragraph from it. I finally understand that offenders are always searching for a means the victim, to feed their quest for power, the power to command control and authority. Picture the offender as a vulture. He circles his surroundings, looking for his prey, something weak that cannot fight back, in this case, an innocent child. Unlike the vulture who only takes what it needs to survive, an offender has no boundaries when looking for his next victim. He searches for his target in familiar places, schools, neighborhoods, even inside his own house. That was really interesting to me because actually I know quite a bit about vultures um, uh, by coincidence. They actually don't. They, they only eat dead prey. So in a sense, um, they're more harmless than what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, um, they're like the recyclers of nature. Um, but we're talking about actually targeting weakness. Um, yeah. And, and, of course, if you're around a person like that, the other adults probably don't want to argue with that either. No. They, they not, ought to, but they may not want to. Well, I think you're getting into, um, correct me if I'm wrong, The like, like my mom didn't um, defend me at all. I mean, if she had protected me, taken me out of that environment, it would have been a whole other story. Is that what you're thinking about? I am. I am. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about what motivates the other people in the situation to turn a blind eye. As as you're saying, everyone did. 
um, you know, it, of course, often it's they've experienced that themselves and they actually are blind to it. But I was mm-hmm. also thinking perhaps there's some level of not being afraid to confront this scary person. Isn't that just mind-boggling? <laughs> I mean, I mean, we can look at it now, and yet, you know, as two healthy adults having this conversation and see how um, outlandish that is, and yet, as we speak, it's going on in homes all over the world, and they, they're in that same trap. You know, they don't know how to say it or... Um, or how to defend themselves. You know, you could say it's the same for domestic violence, although I've never, um, that's not part of my resume, if you will. Uh Um, But it's pretty fascinating how that all works out. Yeah, I I, I think the only thing that um, brings a little bit of, I, I hate to use the word hope, but, Optimism for me is that there is a little bit more education, you know, watching all my kids go through the school system, there was a little more um, education about what isn't okay, you know, um, that kids get exposed to that doesn't depend on their family um, for them to get that message. I don't know if that's true of your kids, but I know mine did get exposed to some education on that score. There was a law recently passed, and it was in, maybe you've heard of it, I think it's called Jessica's Law. Uh-huh. Um, have you heard about that? It rings Where, a bell. I don't remember yeah, the details right now. There, there were a few states that passed that, that that was part of the curric- curriculum in the schools, just like um, earthquake preparedness. Um, or a tornado, or something like that, and then they, and they just the Congress are just passed a law that now all fifty states are bringing that into their um, school uh, curriculum, which um, will be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, sort of. I I imagine from a psychological view that a kid in that situation might shut it down at the time. But then that's kind of the sort of message we've we've been exploring, you know, that one person who validates what's happening uh, mm-hmm. later later has importance when you're trying to sort it out. So we'll hope for that. Let's let's come at, back after the break and talk more about that. And listeners, you can go to my website at weatheringgrief.com or to find Susan Jacoby. Jacoby, you can go to Susan Jacoby, J-O-C-O-B-I dot com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that'll help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. 
Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You want to have the highest quality of life possible, and you want to live as healthy a life as possible, so you can do everything you want to do. But there are all kinds of myths with regard to what's right, what's healthy, and what is best. Debunk that misinformation by tuning into Shattering the Status Quo with Dr. Michael Quast. You should be able to make your own choices with your health and your life, and you should be well-informed to make those choices. Tune in every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I am Cheryl Jones, host of Good Grief, and I'm here with Susan Jacoby, who's made it her life work to uh, educate and assist uh, people dealing with child abuse. And... um, you know, we were we were kind of talking about the change in the landscape somewhat, that there's just a tiny bit more awareness of child abuse now than certainly when I was a kid. I'm I'm 62. Um, I don't remember any awareness whatsoever or any word spoken near me, <laughs> um, and and that is, it seems different for. Uh, for people growing up now. It's interesting that uh, that you bring that up because I think that the environment has changed uh, significantly even in the last three years. I mean, that that was one of the reasons why I am so passionate about this and why I started my radio show and the book is because my therapist kept saying, you know, you're not alone you know, your feelings are perfectly normal for this abnormal event. And there were times where I felt like I was literally losing my mind. And, and, yet, and, I, and I know I am not the only one who was thinking that, you know, as they went on their journey. Um, and she goes, I say, you know, you're, this is a perfectly normal response. And boy, I did not feel like it was normal because I had nothing to uh, compare it to. I mean, there wasn't, I mean, there. I think the book Courage to Heal was out, which, I, in fact, I know it was, because I owned, bought like three copies of it. Uh-huh. Um, but it. But it wasn't in the conversation um, awareness like it is now. Um, and that's, you know, that's a blessing that we can, we can all talk about this now, that there's so many people coming out, telling their story, so many, Nonprofits starting to be a voice. It's a blessing. And that, yes, and that you, I, I think too, and this is true overall with grief. That uh, you know, we can. You have your show, conversations that heal. I have this show, Good Grief. Uh, people can get their message out much more broadly without being on 
CBS or, you know, um, yeah, or even PBS, um, that there's a little more democracy in terms of how information gets out there. Uh, sometimes that's um, got that's a mixed blessing, but I do think people are being exposed to more, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I guess that you know, I mean, if there weren't this, you know, Voice America or uh, where, you know, where my show is on the blog talk thing, if there weren't that, then there would be no vehicle for for us. I mean, I certainly wouldn't go to a radio station saying, hey, I want to start up a show. Uh, you know? Right, right. So, I mean, right. I wouldn't even know how to do it, but I well, know the how sheer, to do what I'm doing. And the sheer numbers. There are a lot of mm-hmm. people out there talking about these issues that have been undercover, maybe an occasional Oprah show or, you know, something of that sort, but not so broadly talked about in so many different ways. So I feel somewhat encouraged by that. Mm-hmm. Me too. And, you know, one thing, I'm sure you do this too on your show, I like when I'm introducing a new uh, thought or if I'm interviewing a guest and they present, I don't know, um, oh, I can't think of anything right now, like uh, like like today we talked about inner wisdom. You know, it's really important that that I stop the guest. I'm like, whoa, you know, like explain that. Like, what does that look like? Like, mm-hmm. what does that feel like? Because to the person that doesn't know what grief looks like or feels like, they've just heard it as a word, like something they're supposed to be doing, you need to you need to have a source of what to look for. Like, oh, well, what they're saying, well, I've experienced that. That's what that is. I think that's really important. And, and I think you've done that naturally today. The things I've gotten from listening are uh, it, can't, it can't happen quickly, that there's an evolving process, that there's something about coming back into your own experience and learning to trust yourself again. Um, sometimes for the first time, if you never got a chance to develop that, there's um, many aspects. And one thing that interested me about your book is is um, each chapter starting, let's talk about, and then a subject area, that there are so many ramifications and that each one has to be kind of attended to in, in mm-hmm. some sense. But um, what I'm intent on is putting out the message uh um, it doesn't need to happen quickly. It needs to happen well. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with each chapter, um, like let's talk about offenders or shame or triggers or boundaries, whatever, each one of those, there is loss and grief in that. And I don't, I mean, that's one thing that I think it's easy to do to minimize the loss and the grief, uh, you know, like when I hear the word lost, I think like, um, you know, something like, like t- time is lost or, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the one thing that I grieve the most about all of this is how much time was lost, how much um, missed opportunities for friendships, for being invited to birthday parties, for um, just for everything, Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a deep, deep loss, and to minimize it is um, essentially 
abusing yourself, I'll use that word in quotes, and, and I hope people don't get caught up that I use that word, um, because you're, 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 you're doing to yourself what you were taught was okay to have done to you. And, mm-hmm. and it's not okay. You know, mm-hmm. you, you deserve to grieve because it's, even if you were abused once or if you were abused every day, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter. You know, it, this, it's the exact same thing. Your brain reacts the exact same way. I've, uh, my mind is circling around to that moment when you said your therapist would say your reaction is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, would we want to be people that would have these really damaging events happen and our system wouldn't be upset by it? We wouldn't. I don't believe we would. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of geared to, as beings, to protect ourselves. And if we can't, we might store it, but it's, uh, our normal, um, capacity for response doesn't get shut down ultimately. And that's a good Mm -hmm. thing, I think. That's what got you going. That's what got you started, wasn't it? Um, on uh, yeah, really coming to terms with the losses. Yeah, and it, and I also think that um, it's what keeps us alive. And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't want to say this like to, um, to guilt anybody, you know. It's, but I look at it like this. It's like when I, when I look at the numbers, like um, um, one in three, one in. Uh, women, one in six men have been sexually abused by the time they're 18 in this country. When I look at those numbers, first of all, that's probably higher than that, but that's beside the point. You know, the people that have survived, if you can't do it for yourself, then think about the people who didn't make it and think about how um, they are their voice deserves to be heard too. And, and, I, and I hope people don't say like, well, that means I have to be responsible for someone I don't even know. That, that's not the point. You know, the point is, is that, that you, have a, you have a driving force, something that you can, something that's within you, the compassion within you, the, the humanity that's within you, um, push you to heal when you can't do it to yourself anymore. This, the phrase that came to my mind as you were speaking just then was uh, the phrase there, but for the grace of God, go I, that we could all be the people that don't, that don't um, find our way through. Mm-hmm. And for me, I have a tremendous gratitude that I have come through the difficult things, um, which makes me capable of having something to give, I believe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, that's how I read what you're saying. That if we mm-hmm. have, if we have walked ourselves through these things, and we then have something, um, an outpouring, we d- we we do that for ourselves, but it benefits everybody. Absolutely. And and as you were talking, I was thinking about how the many countless times. Um, when I didn't have the energy uh, to continue on with my healing, 
my therapist held that energy for me. And there were a lot of times where that, that carried me just enough so that I could pick it up again and, and march on, <laughs> you know, and, and, and access my anger or just being infuriated that someone thought that they had the audacity to grab my power and take it like it was theirs. There's the, I mean, it's like, I could talk for hours about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's so energizing. Even listening to you talk about that process, you know, that's so energizing. Um, how dare you? Uh, because, you yeah. know, that is not an, the, the voice of shame, really. Uh, so it seems a very important voice. Um, you know, it's it's leading me to this last little section I was wanting to wanting to share from your book because that's your boundary, isn't it? That says yes. no, no, back up. <laughs> and the, uh, the section of your book, let's talk about boundaries. Uh, there's a little paragraph by developing healthy boundaries. I feel stronger and more in control of my life and feelings. I'm learning to feel validated that I exist and can be seen. Yes, it is awkward and scary, but I am noticing that the uncomfortable feelings lose their strength as I move through them. Uh, to me, that sense of um, uh, get back or, you know, how dare you helps to, uh, it's the original impulse towards setting appropriate boundaries. It's our warning signal. I need you not to come any closer. It's kind of like what we started the show off with. Yeah, you know the 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 deep like if you can just if you just uh, take a minute and listen to yourself, and uh, you know like lots of times, and I did this too. I still do this. Um, all you know, you hear this negative voice in your head that's beating you down, and you know saying whatever it's going to say, and. And I've come. I've gotten to the point where I, when I listen to that voice, I laugh. Now I laugh because I think like that's not even my voice. You know, why am I running <laughs> uh-huh. away from a voice that's not even mine? That, you know, they're not uh, right. So that's called. Yeah. You know, some people call that taking tea with the demon. <laughs> kind of when you really listen, yeah. it becomes almost a cartoon sometimes, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, and you can. And I really and hope can. that. Pe- I'm sorry, go ahead. Go go right ahead. I hope that people above all, as they're listening to our show, um, hear this when I say that um, you and I, Cheryl and I, are no different from anyone else. And, you know, to think like, oh, you know, well, they, they've done this or they've had this therapy or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. You know, you're seeing, I don't know about Cheryl, but you're seeing the, new and improved Susan or hearing the new and improved Susan, you know, it's, it has not been a free picture and, and I don't want people to like invalidate themselves because, you know, they're comparing us to their situation. Oh yes. I, I'm glad you said that. I'm very intent on that. It takes a long time. I'm, I am indeed 62 years old. <laughs> I'm not far from you. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're, we're coming to the end of our time. I want to really thank you so much for being with me today, Susan. It's been a wonderful conversation, and I'm sure listeners have, have gotten a lot out of uh, hearing you. Um, once again, you can find Susan Jacoby at susanjacoby, J-A-C-O-B-I dot com. And next week, I'll, I'll welcome Michael Fratkin. Dr. Fratkin, a palliative care doctor, has created Resolution Care, which is an innovative approach to offering end-of-life care in areas such as rural areas with less access to all, all health care. Uh, but that becomes especially important in end-of-life care when people can't travel. He incorporates video chatting into his ongoing care model so that his patients have greater access to him and his team and more guidance in the end-of-life process. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.